We are nearing the end of Mark's Gospel. We're in chapter 15 tonight. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three Gospels, are known as synoptic Gospels. That is, they tell a story. It's a true story. The Gospel of Mark is a story book about real people who lived in a real place in a real time. When you get to the book of Romans, that's a doctrine book. When you get to Daniel or Ezekiel, we've lost this monitor, fellas, Daniel or Ezekiel, or you get to the book of Revelation, those are books of prophecy, prophecy. But the book of Mark is a story book, real story, real people. Thank you, sir. This story is amazing. It's the story of what happened to Jesus the moment he died for the next three hours. I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15. Now, when the evening was come, and evening to a Jew would be six o'clock. The Sabbath, the Shabbat, was six o'clock Friday to six o'clock Saturday, roughly, sundown to sundown. When the evening was come, because it was the preparation, preparation for Shabbat, Sabbath, that's a big thing in Israel. And this was especially important because it was the preparation day for the most holy day of the year, Passover, to commemorate that night centuries before when the death angel had passed over Egypt. When the evening was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, and craved the body, the corpse of Jesus. Pilate marveled, is, is he already dead? Normally it takes a man six, uh, three or four days to die on the cross. Jesus had only been on the cross for six hours. He called to a centurion and asked him whether Jesus was really dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen, and he took him down. He took him down, wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in the sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock, and he rolled a stone over the door of the sepulcher. Mary Magdalene from Galilee, and Mary, the mother of Joseph, one of Jesus' half-brothers, was also there. My name is Joseph. 
Uh, it's a rather common name in these parts. They say Joseph of Arimathea because I came from this little town in Judea called Arimathea, little white spot in the road. I have uh, been in business for some time and I've been blessed of the Lord and I have accumulated quite a bit of money here in Jerusalem. In fact, I am a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. That's that group of 70 men that has looked over Israel for a long, long time. This goes way back to the time of Moses. You can read about it in your Bible in a book called Exodus chapter 18. Thou shalt provide Moses out of all the people, able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Place them over the people. At least that's the way we began. Over the centuries, the Sanhedrin has become very corrupt. This was evidenced in the way my brothers handled the illegal trial of a man called Jesus early this morning. I want to talk to you about the Valley of Hell. On the south side of our city of Jerusalem, there is a very deep chasm gouged out of the earth. It's called the Valley of Gehenna, Gehenna. It's where we bring our trash, our garbage. We throw it in that valley. There's always a fire there, turning that rubble into ashes. It's also the home of thousands and thousands of rats. That's why we call it the Valley of Hell. When a Roman soldier or group of soldiers takes a corpse off a cross, the body is dead, and there's no family member to claim it legitimately. They bring that corpse down here to the Valley of Gehenna and throw it in the trash. And it's burned or eaten by the rats. I've often been asked, Joseph, why, why would you risk so much to claim the body of Jesus? Well, that's why. Especially on this day that is the preparation day for Shabbat. And even beyond that, not just the weekly Sabbath day, but it is the annual Passover, holy day of Israel. Why, why would you do that? Well, it started some time ago. I'd heard about this Jesus, and I, I wanted to see him, and I heard where he would be up in Samaria, and I made my way up there. There were a huge crowd of people, and this Jesus was talking to them, and there was somebody there who was obviously very ill, I don't know, maybe dying. And Jesus stopped talking, and he walked over to that fellow and just touched him and the man was healed. I'd never heard anyone so wise. I'd never met anybody so kind. And I became a follower of this Jesus, but I'm sorry to tell you that I was a secret follower. I didn't want anybody to know about it. I told nobody. Why, why a secret follower? Well, that is the question, isn't it? 
why would anybody be a secret follower of Jesus? I was. It must not have been too much of a secret, though. I think my brothers on the Sanhedrin suspected it because that morning they had hauled Jesus out of the dungeon below Caiaphas' house and put him in this kangaroo trial, this illegal, corrupt trial, and unanimously said he needs to die. Except that it wasn't unanimous. I wasn't there. I wasn't invited to that illicit party. So did my brothers on the Sanhedrin suspect that I was a secret follower of Jesus. So about nine o'clock that morning, Friday morning, that infamous morning, soldiers nailed Jesus alive to that cross over on Calvary. I, I wasn't there, but I heard how they abused him. How they beat him with that whip over in Pilate's court, that whip called the near death that would flail, that would rip, carve the flesh right off the bone, near death. I heard how the soldiers formed that torture cap. I think they called it a crown, but it was a cap made of thorns and pressed it on Jesus' scalp so that the blood ran down his face, congealed in what was left of his beard because soldiers had pulled out much of the beard. Most of the time, it took at least three days for a man to die on a cross because no longer finally able to pull themselves up. See, breathing was the problem. With the nails probably through the wrist, we say the hands, but probably through the wrist, hanging there by your wrist and hanging down because to pull yourself up on your feet that had a nail down through it was torture beyond belief. But they would pull themselves up so they could take in air and then sink down. Finally, when after two or three days, they no longer had the strength to pull themselves up or else the soldiers came by to hasten the death and they took big heavy mallets and broke the femurs in the victim's legs so they could no longer pull themselves up. That asphyxiate. That's how they died. But here, here's an astounding thing. After all they did to Jesus, they never broke a bone. All the victims on the cross had broken bones. They had broken legs, for one thing. Jesus never had a broken bone. Our, our Jewish king, a thousand years earlier, had prophesied this. Did you know that? The psalmist prophesied, Psalm 3420, not one of his bones will be broken. It's impossible on a cross, but not one bone was broken. Uh, something else about that, and even more remarkable. Jesus died on Passover. And over across town, in front of the temple, at the altar, the priests were sacrificing 
the atonement lamb for the sins of the nation. That lamb had to be perfect, no blemish. That's way out of our great hero Moses, centuries before God told Moses, no bone shall be broken in the Passover lamb, not one bone. And then again in Numbers 9:12, don't break any bone in the Passover lamb. Jesus was God's Passover lamb. And not one bone was broken. If I had never been a believer in Jesus, that he was God's Messiah prior to that Friday, I certainly would have believed it now. Scriptures, prophecies written centuries before told every detail of Jesus' death. So, Jesus died on the cross after just six hours, nailed up there at nine in the morning, died at three in the afternoon. Now, here's Here's an amazing factor about that. At that very moment, over at the temple, as I told you, the priests would sacrifice the Passover lamb for the sins of the whole nation, and it had to be done exactly at 3 o'clock. 3 o'clock. And nearby on Golgotha, God sacrificed the ultimate Passover lamb at three o'clock. Well, when word reached me that Jesus was dead, I, I understood the soldiers would make their way quickly to the cross because they couldn't still be hanging there on Passover after six o'clock at night. Now it's three o'clock, so we got three hours to work with here. The soldiers would make their way over there and take the bodies down and throw them in the pit of Gehenna on the garbage. And I was not about to let that happen to Jesus. I am an observant Jew, that means I keep Sabbath, Shabbat, and I have to be ceremonially clean for that. I've gone through the mikveh bath and I'm ceremonial clean, which means that I would never, never, never step into the court of a pagan Gentile Roman like Pilate, never. But it didn't apparently mean much to my brothers in the Sanhedrin who claimed they were clean because they'd piled into Pilate's court that morning to howl for the blood of Jesus. How could they do that? I dreaded going to Pilate's hall. The man was a cruel pagan. He killed Jews like some people swat flies. Let me fill you in a little bit here. By this time, the day Jesus died, the Roman Empire was about 700 years old and still expanding. Our uh, emperor was a rather lean, extremely mean man named Tiberius who was a sexual pervert. His mother, Livia, who influenced him greatly, was one of the most wicked witches who ever lived. 
Tiberius was haunted by suspicion. He thought everybody was out to get him. Now, our region of Judea was governed by a governor commissioned by Rome. Kings no longer meant a whole lot. But the governor did. And Tiberius kept governors in power for as long as possible because he figured the more those governors and the longer they stayed in power and the more they stole from people, the less time they would have to come after him. So Pilate had been in power for a decade. And he hung on to that power tenaciously. He ruled with the might of Rome's 12th Legion. The Roman 12th Legion was divided into two brigades, part of it with all Roman soldiers and led by Pilate himself, lived over on the coast at Caesarea, on the coast of the Mediterranean. But in Jerusalem, the brigade was made up of Syrians. But this was Passover day, which meant that Pilate and all the Roman soldiers made all the way over to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was filled with soldiers, Roman and Syrian, and Pilate. And we're told about a million pilgrims that year. Now, if I'm going to claim the body of Jesus, I have to face that. I've have to face that. So I went to the Fortress Antonia. That was the Roman quarter, just north of the temple in Jerusalem. I got to the door and gave my credentials. I was a member of the Sanhedrin, so they let me in. And I approached Pilate. It's about 50 at the time he was, rather short man. And I made the claim for Jesus' body. It was about four o'clock. Jesus had been dead for an hour. And Pilate looked me right in the eye and he said, are you telling me Jesus is dead? He's only been on the cross for a few hours. It takes three days. I said, no, I think he's dead. I've heard he's dead. So Pilate commissioned one of his centurions to go over to Calvary. It wasn't that far away. Make sure he's dead. The centurion came back and said, Jesus is dead. So Pilate said, if I give you the body, what would you do with it? I said, I, I have a personal tomb. It's a new tomb I just created. It's for my family. It's very close to Calvary, the place of execution. And I will place Jesus' body there once it's been properly prepared for burial. I'm not going to allow his body to be thrown in that garbage pit either to be burned or eaten by rats. That's not going to happen. We, uh, we Jews do not embalm normally. If you die, you probably are buried that day. And in my day, a body would be prepared for burial by anointing it with all kinds of things that would dispel the odor, the stench of a dead body. And then we would wrap it in fine linen and place it somewhere secure. That's how it worked. My tomb had only two spots. Some of you may have been in that tomb in Jerusalem. You have to kind of duck to get inside. And once you're in there, on the right side, there are two places, places for two bodies. And we put Jesus' body in the far part. 
Now, normally, a body would only be in there for five or six years. You say, why only two spaces? Well, because, because it would be reused again and again. After five or six years, there'd be no flesh left on the body. And we would go in and collect the bones and put them in a stone box called an ossuary, an ossuary. Then we'd use the tomb again and again. That's the kind of a tomb I had. So Pilate said, you can have the body. And I left him, and I made my way down to the marketplace to get that ointment that was necessary for the body of Jesus. And I bought some fine linen to wrap it in. And I made my way to Calvary. There were not many people left there. Jesus' mother Mary was still there. Mary Magdalene was still there, you know, from Galilee. She was still there. Now, Calvary was the killing field of the Romans. The uprights of the crosses were always there, the upright, not the cross piece. The victim would have to lug that for his own execution. But the uprights were there. And in order to properly crucify a man, the Romans needed ladders. So I knew there'd be a ladder somewhere around, and I found one. And I, I took that ladder and I I placed it against the body of my Lord Jesus. His head wasn't that high off the ground, maybe eight or ten feet. And I had a mallet with me and I knocked the nails loose and Jesus' dead body fell against my shoulder and I carefully came down the ladder and I laid his dead body on the ground. And then I anointed it with this ointment, these spices that I had bought. And, and then surprisingly, and John reminded me that this had happened, Another fellow came along that shocked me. His name was Nicodemus. Do you, do you remember Nicodemus? He was a well-known scholar in Israel, and sometime earlier, he was like me. He was a secret admirer of Jesus, and he came to Jesus at night, didn't want anybody to see him, and asked about eternal life. And Jesus gave him that immortal response, you must be born again. Here was Nicodemus to help me. And he brought, according to John, a hundred pounds of embalming ointment made from myrrh and aloes. And we lovingly anointed that body of Jesus and then we wrapped it in the linen. And we carried it into my tomb and laid him in that far place. I had made the tomb so that you could roll a stone. There was a carved out niche in front. You could roll a stone over the grave. That was common there. That wasn't unusual. We were about to, Nicodemus and I were about to roll that stone over the entrance when suddenly some soldiers came by and said, we're here by order of Pilate. We'll help you roll the stone over the grave. And then they sealed it. They would take 
wax melted down and cover all the opening with that wax and then stamp the Roman insignia in it and God help you if you broke that seal. They would execute you in a second. Nobody was going to bother that body. I guess somebody was afraid. My brothers on the Sanhedrin were afraid that followers of Jesus would come out of the woodwork and steal the body and say, well, he's resurrected. That wasn't going to happen. The soldier said, that's not going to happen. Pilate said, that's not going to happen. But you see, they'd never heard of the Holy Spirit. And there was no stone that could stop him. And on Sunday morning, it was three days because we Jews consider part of a day a day. So it was Friday and Saturday and then Sunday morning. How is it Paul put it to the Ephesian church? You hath he quickened, made alive as the Holy Spirit quickened Jesus' body up from that grave he arose. Well, that's kind of my story. There's a lot more to it, but when I meet you in glory someday, look me up and I'll tell you the rest of the story. Let's pray. Lord, I am not going to be a secret admirer. I'm grateful that Joseph came out in the open about his response to the Lord, but it was after you were dead. Yes, you rose from the grave, but how that must have haunted Joseph down through the years. trying to live according to the dictates of his fellow men and denying the very one who gave him life and who was giving his life for him for eternity, a secret admirer. We find that obnoxious, Lord. We find that degrading to you. And whether I'm in the marketplace or I'm in school or I'm in the home or wherever I may be, I am not going to be a secret admirer. But I'm going to be that light that shines in the world that Jesus talked about. You are the light of the world. You're my Lord. And I joyfully, publicly announce you are my Lord, you are the Savior, and I love you, and I serve you. Thank you for the privilege. Amen. Let's stand, please. Prayer team, if you would slip into the altar, please. Some of you are feeling the need to pray. I did not put that in your heart. I cannot do that. I don't have that ability. The Bible says only the Holy Spirit can draw anybody to God. So if there's a tug in your heart to pray today, it's not from me. The Holy Spirit of God is dealing with you. Don't be a secret admirer. 
If you'd like to come and pray, these folks will pray with you. If you'd like prayer for your body, they'll pray for you. Prayer for needs, they'll pray for you. Or you can come and pray on your own if you'd like. But the altars are open. Would you like to come as we sing this affirmation of faith? He is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the grave and He is Lord. Every name. personal. He is my Lord. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. He has risen from the grave and he's my going to let that be a secret, Jesus, that I am a follower of yours and that you are my Lord. I want to so live and to so speak, so act that nobody has any question about who controls my life. You're my Lord. I thank you for this wonderful story from the gospel, this true story of those three hours after Jesus died, after you died, Lord, on the cross. Your word is so real to us. No wonder it brings faith. Your word tells us that faith comes by hearing this story, this word. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. I pray, Lord, that every child, every young person, every mom, dad, everybody knows these stories about Jesus. That's where the faith comes from. Because these stories are true. They are provable and they are true. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place today. Amen. God bless you, precious people, as you go. The Spanish will meet at 1.30, concert tonight at 7. God bless you as you go.